Amen. Good morning, church family. Todd just made a stunning observation, which was, had he uh, realized that we were incorporating it, uh, you know, sooner than this morning, remembered it, he could have wore his gun during offering, which would have probably brought the numbers up a little bit for giving. So, no, I'm just kidding. I thought it was funny, so I had to share it. Um, by the way, don't freak out. We're not closing down as a church or nothing like that. It just was an indicator to me that we needed to spend some time on emphasizing uh, giving through worship. Okay, we have a rainy day fund that carries us through just like you have in your own home. You know what I mean? So we, we're, we're not shutting down next week or nothing, but each should give according and, and should make that part of their worship. We're just giving you another opportunity and a weekly reminder to do so. All right. Okay. Uh, Got your Bibles? I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis. We're, we're in this series in Genesis here for the remainder of the winter into the spring. Probably take a break from Genesis in the summer, but for now, this is where we are. Uh, we are moving now into the next triad of creation. First triad was about God kind of terraforming the earth. Thank you, sir. And getting it ready for all the things that would grow and be there uh, on the earth. And here, God is going to actually start creating and making those things that are on there. By the way, I had an illustration that I wanted to use last week and ran out of time. Um, do any of you, uh, have you ever seen a two by four from 100 to 150 years ago, like the rings whenever there's a cut through, and then seen it laid next to like a two by four you bought from Lowe's like right now? Uh, the rings on the 150 year old, 100 year old two by four are very tight um, and very close together. And that two by four is actually stronger than what you would buy at uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or even, do you also two by fours up at the Browns? No, just everything else you need, right? And tell Browns to send me a check for that promotion this week. Yeah, Browns for everything else you need in Hampton, Tennessee. Uh, but uh, do you know why? Do you know why the rings are tighter together on the older ones and not on the modern two by fours? So for years, about 100 years ago, there was a philosophy in forestry that took place that we need to cut the biggest tree down and let it fall. And then the little trees will get the extra sunlight and then they'll grow. And they did and they grew faster. But there was a trade-off, and the trade-off was this. While the trees grew faster, they did not grow as strong because they needed the shade from the big tree and the competition of resources so that they would grow slower and, dun da da dun stronger than trees that we grow modernly. So isn't that fascinating? It's almost like God had a better system in Genesis in place, and if we can keep those systems as close to what God wanted, uh, we'd be better off. Doesn't it almost sound like that, right? Let the big tree stay up as long as it stays, and then let the next big tree take its place, and let those other trees grow slowly and harvest accordingly. All right, anyway, enough of that. All right, here we are. Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 and following. This is the word of God, church. Hear it. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse. Uh, move on down to 14 there. That's four, I think. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give the light upon the earth and so it was it was so and God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day the lesser light to rule the night and the stars and God sent them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good 
And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures. Uh, some of your translations may actually say sea monsters. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds in each wiggly bird, each winged bird according to its kind. And God said that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Amen. Oh, let me go just a little bit further. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, infallible word because the grass withers, the, the flowers fade. But say it with me if you know it. But the word of our God endures forever. All right. So I have a very, I was telling Zach this week when we were meeting together early in the week, I have a very simple main point that I'm trying to do with you this morning. This is not a complicated sermon, and it's, it's following the text. It's not a complicated text, okay? And it's simply this. I would like, I would like the, the goal of this to be, which is really the ultimate goal of Genesis chapter 1 as a whole, is to magnify and extol the greatness of God as the creator of all things and to draw from us worship and adoration and praise for all that God has done because whatever God does, He does not just well, but He does it with excellence. Amen? So this is the simple thing. So let's, let's get into this. Back to 14 for just a moment. Back to verse 14. Notice here. Let the lights and there be in the expanse of the heavens separate the day from the night. Back in the first triad of creation, we saw God was separating things. He was separating the water from the land, and there are divine separations that are necessary so that life can be sustained. Uh, there, are, there are times separation is not a good thing, but this is a good thing. God here separating the day from the night. Now notice a couple of things about verse 14. First of all, he talks about a larger... Uh, light that's put in place. Now we've already seen light that has happened in Genesis chapter 1. That would be from the radiance of who God is, right? He makes that light and radiates light. We talked about that. And here in the fourth day, notice what God makes here, right? He puts a light in the expanse. And the greater light to rule the day is what? It's the sun. And the lesser light to rule the night is the, is the moon, okay? And he notice it doesn't name it here, but he says this is the way it is, that God placed these things there. I want you to note one thing that's incredibly important here, something that is sort of a small detail, but one that needs to be pulled out nonetheless to create this adoration and extolling of who God is. God just speaks and these things happen. The sun happens and the moon happens and they obey what he says. Inanimate objects 
at the magnitude and the ability to generate the energy that the sun creates. They just come into existence on day four and they obey what he says. Now notice something else though, uh, something that's kind of amazing to me as Noah, excuse me, as Moses is giving this account and writing this down. He says here, as he explains it a little bit more, these different commands that are put in place, he says, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So God has set up the earth that it would rotate around the sun 365 days a year, gives us a calendar, gives us seasons. God set the sun and the moon and the stars in place to help with all of these different aspects. A fascinating thing, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is just the reality of creation. Okay, you can't really get around this. This is the way it is. Uh, if you were to go back historically and look at great uh, revolutions like the French Revolution, which is sort of a pre-communist revolution, and then the communist resolu uh, revolution in Russia where they threw the czars out, they're always trying to tear things down. You know, these revolutions try to tear things down and put something else in its place. And when the communists took over in Russia, one of the things that they tried to do was they wanted to move away and tear down a seven-day work week, and they wanted to institute a 10-day work week. They wanted everybody, why, why would you want that if you're communist leaders? If, why would you want a 10-day work week instead of a, a six-day work day with one day of seven? Why would you want that? You get more work out of the people, right? So you get, more, you get more work out of basically your slaves. And so they tried to do it. And at the point they took over, of course, they were using a lot of beasts of burden, right? Ox and different things to help plow and do all these different things. Guess what happened? The animals could not keep pace with a 10-day work week. The people could not keep pace with a 10-day work week. The whole thing was a colossal failure, and they had to go back to a seven-day week. Why? Because everything about creation is built around a seven-day week. Is that mind-blowing to you? There's six days of creation. There's six days for work. There's one day for rest. That was God's design for man and beast. The beast could not handle it. The men could not handle what they tried to institute. So when you sit down tonight, because I know a lot of you do this, especially the moms, you're the calendar keepers, right? You look at your calendar and you look at those seven blocks for the week. Give glory to God. He set that up. A calendar is a reminder to you of the God who made all things that are good in your life, right? Now, something else I want to draw your attention to and how he unpacks this and talks about this. Let the lights be in the expanse of the heavens and to give light upon the earth. And it was so... God made the two lights here. Verse 16, we've already talked about this. The greater light to rule by the day and the lesser light to rule by night. Now look at this though. Look at this in verse 16. This caught my eye in study this week. This dash. And what does it say, church? Read it. And the stars. Like, like when you read this whole thing, it almost sounds like, and the stars. You know, it almost is like, it downplays stars. Like, God, in the day four, God speaks the sun into existence. He speaks the moons to existence and the stars into existence. By the way, does anyone know what the estimation of how many stars are in our nighttime sky is right now? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to try to say this correctly because I'm, I'm not a mathematician or a numerologist. Right? I don't study numbers or math, but I'm an exegeter. Right, I'm exegeting scripture here as a pastor. 106 trillion stars are estimated to be in the night sky right now. 
That is one with 23 zeros after it. That's a football too, in case you were wondering. We've got a fumble on the play right here, getting ready for the Super Bowl tonight. Just imagine that for just a minute. One with 23 zeros, that's what we've discovered. Like when you look up at the nighttime sky, there is 106 trillion stars up there that we can see and know about. They're saying there could be more behind what we can see. And this verse says, God made the greater light to rule by day, the lesser light to rule by night. Oh yeah, and he made the stars, by the way. You know, what one commentator says about this, because you have to ask the question, when I see something written this way, I'm like, why, why is it written this way? Why, why would it be almost, this feels like an afterthought. It almost was like just tagged on to this verse, right? Uh, well, I'll tell you why. I mean, this has got to be verse 16, the very tail end here. This may be one of the most underrated dramatic statements of the entirety of the Bible. Oh, yeah, and God made the stars. You know, why? Well, I think I know why. I'm going to share with you why I think I know why. Keep in mind, who is Moses writing to? He's writing to Israelites who are battling paganism on all sides. They're battling Canaanite narratives of creation. They're battling all their pagan neighbors' creation narratives. And one thing that was kind of central in all pagan worship is worship of the sun and the moon and worship of the stars. In fact, one commentator says it this way. Alan Ross, great commentator on the New Testament, or on the Old Testament, particularly Genesis, says that the pagans thought of the heavenly orbs, that's stars and sun and moon, as objects of worship, as forces of destiny that they've serviced for divining through alignment and eclipses. So they based all their life around it. Now the signs that you know it's talking about in 14 are not the way pagans are talking about signs and wonders, right? I think the signs that Moses is talking about here have to do with knowing when to plant, when to harvest, those kinds of things. So that, you know, he put the sun, he gave us seasons to know when to, when, you know, and Ecclesiastes goes into more detail, when to pull up, when to put down, those kind of signs, not, you know, Let's shake together bones out in the yard and figure out what the bones are saying kind of signs, right? And not what the pagans are saying here. So when it says here it downplays what the stars are, it is because the main point is this. The supremacy of God in creation. That the sun and the moon and the six, what was the number I said a minute ago? I lost it in my head. One six trillion stars that were made in heaven are meant to serve God's purposes. That he spoke all of that into existence in one day. And all that is beautiful and illuminated by it, either in the day or in the night, are meant to be a good thing that points you to who he is. As one who is greater still than the lights that light the daytime sky or the nighttime sky. Now, are there any further implications and applications of day four of creation for us, Pastor? Why, yes, there are. Thank you for asking. Here is the other implication and application. Do we still have pagans looking to stars to determine 
their destinies and how they should live their lives today? Do we? Anybody browse the horoscope section of your paper lately? You know what that whole thing's built on? Divination from the scars. Scars, excuse me, stars. I want to read you a passage real quick. Stick one thumb here. And, well, do you have to mark Genesis since it's in the beginning? Just remember where Genesis is for just a minute. Turn over to Deuteronomy for one second with me. Deuteronomy 17. Moses also writes this. Verse 2 of chapter 17, he says this, If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them or the sun or the moon or the, any of the host of heaven which I have forbidden and it is told to you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is true, and certainly that such an abomination has been done in Israel. God calls any kind of engagement in Deuteronomy, and this law carries over into the New Testament. Not all of them do, but this one clearly does. I see such nonsense online. The, I see people who live their lives based on their horoscope sign as if that has something to do with your personality. The day you were born and how the stars were aligned that day, that is nothing, listen to me, that is nothing but paganism. Don't read horoscopes. If you're reading horoscopes right now, stop it. <laughs> and after the service is over, don't come to me and talk to me about reading horoscopes and how you love doing it because you're going to tempt me to slap you in the face, right? Don't tempt your pastor, right? I don't want to hear about horoscopes and I don't want to hear about how true they are, how much they work. The Bible says here and gives you plain warning in day four of creation, the implication is this. You don't trust horoscopes, you trust God. You trust the God who made the stars and the sun and the moon. Don't trust those things. Those things point to what you're supposed to trust to because your heart's designed for one of two things. It's either designed to worship the creator who made all this beauty, and they are beautiful, or it will, it will worship what has been made. Okay? All right. Enough of this on stars and moons and worship and all the like and horoscopes. Moving on. Now. So that's day number uh, five, four, right? Day number four. Uh, God does all this, and He says here, and that, and it was so, right? It was good, and it was so. Like whatever God says to do, it happens. He always delivers when He promises. And there was morning, and there was evening. So twenty-four hour time period. He made all those things that we just discussed. Now, verse twenty, and God said. Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and the expanse of the heaven. So God created the great sea creatures. Some of your translations may say monsters. Does any of your translations say sea monsters? Some of them do. Some of the older ones do. Uh, all right, let's talk about this for just a minute here. Uh, as a fisherman, I love to fish. I love saltwater fishing because you just don't know what you're going to get. Maybe you could catch something that could fish you back. That's the fun of fishing in the saltwater, right? You could catch something that could eat you. You wouldn't just have to, you can't just eat everything you pull out of there, right? It's the fun of it. Uh, but um, there are massive things in the ocean, right? 
It's a pretty simple statement. It's true. There are whales, right? And I want you to think about the power of who God is. God says on this day, he creates all these little schools of fish, says schools of fish, be there, they're there. Massive whales, right? What is the largest whale? Does anybody know? Beluga whale? Blue whale. God says, let there be a blue whale. There's a blue whale that day. Like, and he makes all these creatures. It is mind-blowingly amazing. And then I want you to think about this. How many of you are kind of like marine biologist junkies? Like you like to watch what they're doing and what they're discovering. Does anybody like that stuff? Some of you? Okay. Did you know that they are discovering new species of fish at the bottom of the ocean? I was reading an article this week that they discovered a new species of eel last month. A new species was discovered last month. So I want you to think about this for just a minute. God makes these massive creatures. And, you know, we, we know that there are giant squids. We know that there are, you know, whales and squids are in these entanglements and battles underneath the ocean waves. To the very depths of the Mariana Trench, God says, I'm going to make on day five, I'm going to make creatures that nobody's even going to see for thousands of years, right? I don't know about you, but when I need to, like, kind of gear down for the night, you know, put on stretchy pants time and kind of let your brain ooze out through your ears. Do you know what I'm talking about that time of day? All right. Stretchy pants time and brain oozing time. That's what, we're, that's what we're into at my house at the end of the day, right? One of the things I love to do, and you can ask Becky this, I love putting on like Animal Planet or like things about wildlife or marine stuff. You know, some of, the, some of the cameras that they send down like into the Mariana Trench, some of that stuff's crazy what they find down there. I don't even know what's down there. But just to think that God said, I'm going to make these things for my glory, for my enjoyment, no one's even going to see them for thousands of years. I'm going to make them this day, and they're going to function and live down there, you know, until I say they don't. Isn't that, a, isn't that an amazing thought that God has done that? And that what Moses is kind of saying to us here? It says here, let the birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of heaven, every bird that there is. So from the beginning here, right here in this narrative, there is no room for an evolutionary worldview, right? There, Basically, God creates the fish and all that are like them into the seas. God creates the birds. They're another type of flesh, and they fly and take flight. God creates the beast of the field. That's another type. They don't turn into each other, right? There's yet to be any evidence from the evolutionary theory that fish turn into birds, birds turn into walking things, or walking things turn into birds, however they... I'm not sure what the path they choose. Anyhow, it's madness to me. I don't have enough faith to go down that trail. I choose to believe the Bible. I choose to believe what God has said here. And he said he made each unique and amazing. So uh, about a year ago, when I was uh, about 63 or 64 pounds heavier, I was not able to ride rides in Dollywood. I know you feel sad for me, don't you? So there's two things for fat people to do in Dollywood. And that is eat more calories and get fatter and watch shows, okay? And so I would go and I would watch the shows. And one of the shows that became my absolute favorite show at Dollywood was The Bird Show. Has anybody seen The Bird Show in Dollywood? It is, and like, you know, I was like, this is, I'm just gonna do this because there's nothing else for me to do as a fat person in Dollywood other than make myself fatter, so I'm gonna go watch The Bird Show. It was phenomenal. Like, if you've never been to the bird show in Dollywood, I highly recommend that you go. They have trained these birds to do all kinds of little neat tricks and things. You get to see, like, uh, massive birds perch up on a guy's, like, arm. Like, I don't know why, but just, I, I've always thought it was amazing. 
if you could be a falconer, you know what that is? Where like you train a falcon to like go out from, for you and like help you hunt like a dog. That just is an incredible thing. And they train these birds that if you give a donation, the birds will go out and, get, and take the donation to help the, the birds uh, furthering there at Dollywood. And they'll take it back to see a bald eagle perched up there, right? And like, it just, it amazes me that in one 24-hour time period, one day, God made all those birds, each according to their own type, and all of those like unique intricacies and abilities and calls and strength and size, it's amazing. I mean, even the most like, there's probably a bird that kind of grosses you out, right? Like I had one time a person told me they didn't like blue jays. I don't know what a blue jay ever did to them to make them not like blue jays, but they didn't like blue jays. For me, I think pigeons are kind of gross, right? I think they're sort of, you know, but have you ever just stopped Whatever the least favorite bird you have is. Have you ever just stopped and looked at a pigeon? For me, it's a pigeon, so I'm going to use that one. You ever looked at the wings of a pigeon? They have this, like, trans... I don't even know what to call it. Like, a, there's so many colors in their wings when they move it in certain ways. It's a... What's the word I'm looking for here? Transcendental color? What, what is that? Translucent. Thank you. Yes, translucent coloring in their wings. And there's, like, such detail and intricacies that God did on what we would consider a trash bird, right? Or at least I do. I look at a pigeon like it's a trash bird, right? Uh, or certain fish. But God, God instrumentally made them all glorious and all pointing to him. And then finally, what's it say here? Uh, they, not only the birds did he make this way, he, he also makes the, the beast of the field. Fascinating video. You can go watch it online. I, I would encourage you to do this with your family. It's just Phenomenally amazing to me. Has anybody seen where they reintroduce wolves into Yellowstone Park? Like for years, we had hunted wolves into, into basically extinction at Yellowstone Park, and they reintroduced wolves in 1995. Uh, does, does anybody know why they did it? There were, there were massive amounts of, they were trying to help the elk population come back first, and the elk came back whenever the wolves died out, like they came back with a vengeance. <laughs> And they, it actually, the, it got to a point where elk were starving in the park because they were eating up all the vegetation that was there. So they reintroduced the wolves back into Yellowstone in 1995, and they did this study, this massive long study. And now no elk ever goes hungry, no wolf for that matter, right? Because the smallest, the, the littlest one gets picked off and eaten, right? Now the, the river's meandering change. Now the vegetation is lusher than it ever has been. And it's almost like the original system that God set in place in Yellowstone Park years ago on day five of creation, right? That was the system we should have left alone and had the whole time. Everybody's just, it, it amazes me. It's, to me, it's kind of funny. Like people are just like blown away that God's original design worked better. <laughs> and it's like, but here it is, day five, we should not be surprised. Leaving tall trees up and letting little trees grow under them works better. That letting natural predators thin the herd, and they're saying now that there is a better quality elk in the park because the wolves are there to thin out the ones that don't belong. We think things shouldn't struggle for resources and there shouldn't be predators eating elk. No, 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 that's God's design. It's, it's functioning the way he called us to do. But ultimately, all these things, the monsters in the sea, the biggest animals that are there, that's what that means. By the way, what's happening here? Well, Genesis, as one commentator said, Hamilton said, 
Genesis could not be written as a more anti-mythical book, but a book of history, right? What is happening in this text is Moses is steamrolling over the mythical creation narratives of all the pagans that sit around him. And, it, and he's doing it now for us, right? You know, as we think about those sea beasts, the, um, the Canaanites had this belief in a, a water sea god that the closest word in, in Hebrew would have been, they would have called it Leviathan. And you were supposed to fear this god. You're supposed to be afraid of this god. You're supposed to worship this god and be in awe of him, right? And then you flip over to Job, which, by the way, is the oldest book of the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's the oldest book of the Bible. You, put, you flip over to Job, and Job and God's having this conversation, and Job brings up the topic of a Leviathan in the sea. Do you remember this, right? And what, what's the long and short of it? Well, I'm going to give you the Travis Tyler, East Tennessee version of what God, what God says to Job about the Leviathan in the sea. He's like, what do you think about the Leviathan? Think you can just grab him up yourself? I could cast a hook into the sea bigger than any hook you've ever seen in your life. Stick that thing through a Leviathan's nose and I'll make that thing go wherever I want him to go. This is the God who I am. This, I'm the one who made all that swims in the sea from the largest whale to the smallest little piece of plankton that the largest whale eats. I made it all. I'm sovereign over it all and it's all good. So this is where we're going to land the plane. God made the Heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars. God made the, the, the animals, the fish, all that there is. God gave the light so that all this could happen. Uh, light is a critical thing for all life. I was reading this week about the first lighthouse that was ever built and the amount of lives that it has saved. In a similar fashion here, as I told you last week, there is a parallel narrative in the New Testament. The darkness that is in us, the formlessness, the void that is there before the Holy Spirit comes, hovers above the water and then begins terraforming that, that soul and brings life to it through Jesus Christ. The question is this, do you believe this morning what Moses has said? Does it move your heart to think about a God who made the sun, the moon, the stars in a 24-hour time period, that he made everything that swims in the sea, that he made all the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field and even the smallest insect, the ones that annoy you, right? The ones that crawl in your house. I've sometimes asked God why he made termites and flies, my least favorite, but they have a purpose ultimately, right? And all the goodness that we enjoy from that, all of that, is meant to point us to the goodness of who God is and to draw us to Him. Have you done that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, for, thank you for your word here today. Lord, we needed it. We needed to hear you steamrolling those pagan concepts and ideas that were in their day. And Lord, you are still doing it today. God, help us to be faithful to the word that you have given. Help us to not believe that somehow the moon and the stars dictate personalities who we can be friends with. Let us not trust in those broken cisterns and those failing philosophies, but rather let us lean into who you are. Let us trust you wholly and boldly this morning as the one who created the sun, the moon, the stars, 
as the one who created the most majestic of the animals of the field and the most large and amazing creatures of the ocean. Lord, to the, to, the, to the greatest falcon that soars in the air, whose eyesight can see for miles the smallest rodent on the plain. God, you made it all. You crafted it all in a day. Let us be awestruck by who you are. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. If you're here today and you don't know this creator, God, you've, you've, never, you've never come to know him personally through a relationship with Christ, we invite you to do so. I'll be in the back to receive you. As we sing now in response to the word of God preached, please stand as we sing. <laughs>